Hello, hello. My name is Andrea Miller. I am the host of Open Relationships Transforming Together. This is my co-host Cupcake, along with, and that for those of you who are listening, it's my cat on my lap, along with Joanna Schroeder and Brian Adkins. We have an amazing show for you today. We have Jen Lim, who is a happiness expert, best-selling author, just a all-around superstar. So since we want to get into it, we're going to dispense with all the other blah, blah, blah. And let's get Jen on the show. Thank you so much for tuning Yay. in. Yay. 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 All right. All right. All right. Amazing. Thanks so much, Brian. Jen Lim. Oh, my gosh. We're so excited to talk to you and to meet you. And you look fabulous. For anybody who is just listening, you can't see how amazing <laughs> she looks. So quickly go to YouTube because she's got the hat, the glasses. Like, uh, I want I want to, like, buy, buy all that stuff. Anyway, okay, Jen Lim is the CEO and co-founder of Delivering Happiness, best-selling author and founder of Beyond Happiness, and named one of the world's top 50 keynote speakers. She's had the privilege of leading a company to the Inc. 5000 fastest growing list, sitting on the Global Happiness Council of Work and Wellbeing, and working with hundreds of organizations from Fortune 500s and best places to work to startups and governments. Her mission is both simple and profound, to teach businesses how to create workplaces led with happiness and humanity that generate more profit, sustain all people at every level of the organization, and share how we can make an impact by being true to our authentic selves. Jen inspires folks around the world on ways to find meaning, grit, and joy, even in the toughest of times. She reminds us how we can all ripple an impact when we get real with ourselves first. Jen, welcome. You are amazing. Thank you. We are we are excited <laughs> to talk to you. You're such a guru. I've been downloading everything I can find, watch, read, listen about you. And thank you so much for all the incredible work you've been doing for, gosh, close to two decades now, or maybe more. Um, (laughs) And I just, yeah, I just, I wanted to say um, in your book, Beyond Happiness, I was glad to see that not all people that worked at Enron were terrible because (laughs) I worked at Enron. I saw that little, I'm like, uh uh I think it was like we were like it was like Enron and one of those other companies that imploded in the early 2000s. And I was like, oh, gosh, okay. well, I'm here to represent. I always say I was in the international group and nobody in our team um, went to jail and we had real assets. So, you know, I just I thought that was a a funny. Yeah. Funny little. I was like, oh, Enron back. I'm glad it is easy to to paint like a whole. It's like we all want to make a villain. Right. Exactly. So I yeah. had never even heard that from Andrea. I've worked for her for seven years. I've never heard that she was oh, in yeah. the international all group. New. All sorts of new things are happening on our show today. Yeah. But it's <laughs> interesting, though, because it does bring up that point of, like, it's so much easier to be like, oh, we need an evil company. There's yeah. our, mm-hmm. like, bad guy kind of villain in the story about business. Yeah. That's why I love you brought it up. Uh, because... There's the evil companies, and then there's the uh-huh. companies that are like the best out there. But of course, underneath, it's like not always 
that consistency across the you board. Are, you are totally, totally anticipating what I'm going to be coming back to because it's okay, like cool. it's uh, um, everything that glitters isn't gold, right? So okay. we're going to come back to that. But where I was hoping we could start our discussion was where you started your book, Beyond Happiness, with your reflecting on Tony Shea, the legendary genius CEO of Zappos. You provided mm-hmm. such a heartfelt tribute to him as your soulmate. I mean, it gives me chills, soulmate, partner, and friend. And you touched on your profound grief in losing him so abruptly. Everybody was shocked. Um, we talk often about grief on the show because it's such a normal part of the human experience. And so I was wondering if you'd be willing to talk a little bit about what happened, what your experience was, and if there are any lessons, because he seemed on the outside so larger than life and was. And yet, in you know, as an, a total outsider and reading about him, you go, oh, gosh, there, it seems like there was some suffering going on. And we know in a, in a world with a lot of mental health issues where that is that's pretty frequent where everything seems to be okay on the outside, but not so much okay on the inside. So we we just, we'd love any, um, anything you can share on, on, on that dear man. Yeah. I love how you're just going in there, Andrew. It was like, let's just get in there. <laughs> I know we're going to go from, you know, like very happy and joyful to like, oh, like, like the tough stuff. I love but it. That's so, what we I love it. On the show. I love it. Uh, I mean, that could be a whole show in itself. Uh, yeah, just not I just about but really there's you know tony's story and the the bigger life story of it all and i just happen uh-huh. to be a part of it um yeah so the reason why i started with it is because he passed um 5 weeks before the book was due and i didn't even have a title yet for it, the book and so if you can imagine i had 5 weeks to reframe the whole thing it was unexpected. I mean, there was stuff going on, wow. you know, it's not, it's just mm-hmm. real. Um, but, um, <clears throat> you know, when it happened, it was so sensational. Like, let alone one of your best buds passing away, let alone the fact that it's a pub- he's a public figure. And so with all the processing, with all like me wanting to reframe the book and like, am I really going to put this out there? I mean, there was just so much stuff going on. Yeah. And so... There was a lot of sensational noise about it. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, I can't blame people. Humans just want to understand. And uh, so I was trying to sit still and quiet in my own space. Um, and, uh, you know, like I, you know, people were asking a lot of questions and all that. And to me, it wasn't about this cautionary tale. I mean, this guy is a human being. And yes, he was amazing in so many ways. And he also had faults like all of us um but everyone wants to read that story right or know that story of like the we works or you know the theranoses of just like these big larger life characters and like yeah of course that would be a doubtful um Mm. at the end he he was a human being and as much as he had a brilliant mind he had the biggest heart and anything you read is you know there could be merit to it but like yeah i just I'm grateful and blessed to have been a part of, you know, shared experience of life. And I guess how I would, you know, my own synthesis of it and processing is just like, there was a human being that I was able to have this super open, trusting relationship with. I'm going to go, I love, first off, when I read about 
the title of your podcast. I'm like, yes, like this is awesome in all definitions of uh, interpretations of open relationship. And that mm-hmm. is exactly what Tony and I believed in, in mm. that we have something nice. to learn from everyone. And yeah. and that's why like that relationship we had was just like, and nothing's off the table. We could talk about anything mm-hmm. from business to people, the economy. Yeah. And it was so free, free, you know, liberating uh, to have that. Yes. So yes. the tie into this is that that was his big belief in, you know, doing all these things, envisioning all, envisioning all these things and, and do like, you know, building and creating was at the end of the day, it was about people. And you know, the happiness thing just happened to be called happiness. We could actually say, you can name it something else, but like, um, you know, delivering happiness to book, delivering happiness to company. It was a universal way to connect. And I think beyond the sensationalism or even like within, like deeper, if we go deeper, um, that's what I would love people to remember him by um, in his legacy of, you know, things that are still happening um, in what he did. So... I don't know. There's so many ways I can go with this topic. That that was amazing. No, it was so amazing. And it's why as I started spending time getting to know you and your work and obviously Tony's work, like literally kindred spirits. And we've been on a journey here at your Tango, the, the company that is behind open relationships for just about two decades really. Uh Uh, And, you know, so many similarities. In fact, I got to tell you a funny one. Um, I was just this morning, one of my friends is very senior at a large fortune 500 company. And I said, I want to, you know, I want to send this book to you and just said um, the ideas, I mean, literally simple and profound. I would also say radical and obvious. Right. And, and here's, here's what he says. It's easy to lose sight of those things in the midst of everything else. And I'm like ready to like pull my hair out and go, but it's those that, you know, the the culture, the people focusing on, you know, being um, obsessively uh, focused on your customers. Like those are the main things. Everything else is the details. So let yeah. me ask you why, I mean, you guys have been preaching this and and educating people and consulting for such a long time and and again we've been doing it too in our in our own way here at your tango but it so it it seems radical and obvious and yet it feels so even even now it just feels like it's so um um not not sort of adopted and and yeah. it's not me just saying that i just looked at data the other day something like 85% of people feel very dissatisfied with their work right yeah. which is a bananas number and all the ripple effect of days you know days missed at work and lack of productivity i mean so corporate america is play, paying a huge price and yet it feels like the answer is hidden in plain sight so what where yeah. why is there such a big disconnect I, first of all i love radical and obvious <laughs> it's just i haven't heard mm-hmm. really I mean, that it's way amazing. by the day it's amazing yeah. right because it's like yeah Yes, like we can do this, people, with just a little initiative. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. Totally, totally. No, like it's so true. And in so many ways, the things that we've been, you know, sharing is not rocket science. You know, this stuff is historically has been around since the test of time, since since we've been around. And and I think our biggest thing was just how to reframe it in today's terms 
And so whether it was about happiness and now beyond happiness is kind of like, what is it, you know, why does it matter today? And I think the, like the resistance and the tension of it, it, cause it's so obvious, but so unfortunately radical is mm-hmm. that, um, you know, just that innate inability to change and adapt mm. to actually what not just what's in it for me, but actually what's in it for me and all. And I think because we naturally, you know, just just because of like we want to survive, like this goes back to our human instinct of knowing that like we're out to look for dangers and everything like that. And you know, now it's like updated with social media and media in general. So we're naturally still gravitating towards those things. And when it comes down to it, there's a natural need to protect what's theirs. You know, what's my, like, what my family deserves or what I deserve. And that's really hard to change when it comes to CEOs, when it comes to leaders of, you know, governments, leaders of anything, really. And that's been, I think, the biggest resistance is the change within self. Like, if you really want to be a good leader, you really want to be a true and authentic one. I'm going to fast forward today. In the last few years, since the world got 2020, did you really take a bit of time to reflect and go inward to ask yourself if you're truly being that leader? Because all those actions that happened since then are a reflection of whether you're going to be survival mindset. You know, are you going to go back to like, oh, we need to cling to where we were? Or are you going to think in a, in a way that there's actually abundance? If you think about yes. today's oh, world yes. versus generations yes. where there was less abundance, less freedom less luxury to be able to even consider these things that we're doing right now with practices of mindfulness practices of like thinking that hey we can name burnout now we can name you know like mental illness or mental health in the workplace so things like that that at the end of the day do make us feel or should make us feel that we have a bigger luxury than we did just just my you know last generation like yeah no like you say it's all it's in the reframing. I, 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 that idea of are you coming from a place of scarcity or a place of abundance? That. I, you know, yeah. I've had to put that mirror up to my face many times. You know, as a mom, as a leader, right in in a lot of situations. Yeah. But what I wanted Probably. to also mention, one of my favorite quotes is, um, "Everybody wants to transform, nobody wants to change." And I just, when I think about how hard and scary change can be, and, and you know, I, I know that comes up in a lot of your work. It's like, oh, that's the, you know, the answer is being willing to in, embrace change and discomfort. And yet it feels yeah. somehow we are in, innately programmed to want to avoid it. And, you know, it's also really interesting to me, you put these great graphs in your book where it shows the companies that have, that, um, that uh, perform the highest on uh, employee and team satisfaction outperform the S&P and outperform all of these benchmarks. And I just want to say, ding, ding, ding. Isn't it obvious? Right. Yeah. And, and isn't it obvious? And so part of me and I realized like, H, you know, Harvard Business Review and probably Forbes and Fortune and, um, you know, Fast Company, I'm sure they they report on this stuff quite a bit. I feel like especially HBR, I always joke, it's like you can't look at an issue without there being an article about emotional intel- intelligence and okay. leadership and, you know, and compassion and those what are, you know, formally called soft skills. 
but it yeah. still feels like there's a big gap between that intellectual knowledge and the implementation of it. Well, which, that, you that know, goes that. along with what I was going to ask. We're talking about these very high level sort of thinky terms of like, you know, transform versus change. And it's so hard to and what what I'm doing right now is I'm talking to two very powerful leaders of companies and I am an editor and a writer. Uh, who are you talking so I'm about? Sitting here. I'm Jen and who else? You and Andrea. <laughs> you two. I, Andrea I and Jen. Jen. I was like, is she having another conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. with somebody? Yeah, no, but Sorry. like, here's, little, here's little me. Humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, so here I am. I grew up in a small business family. And so I'm thinking, okay, Jen, I'm talking, let's say, so my oldest brother took over my stepfather's company and he's running it. It's like 150 employees. So when we're talking to them and they do a service and they, they have some machinery, they have people that drive trucks, they have people who are in a food prep situation. When we're talking about a company like that and you're talking to someone like my brother or my sister-in-law and my niece who are running this company, what do you tell them? What are these things that are hard to change? Like, What are those concrete things in an everyday business where people are clocking in and clocking out? What does mm -hmm. that look like? Yeah, there's been a lot of layers that you just laid down right now for me. Like, yes, yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, I wouldn't no, really no, ask you, know, Jen. Like, what is the meaning of life? Just <laughs> yeah, a small yeah. question. No, but like on a concrete level, it because it's so easy for us, those of us who think yeah. about and talk about philosophy and and personal growth. But what about the average person who's clocking in and clocking out and managing a team yeah. or a person who runs a company with a hundred employees that they you know, it's a it's a hard work every day, yeah. wear work boots kind of situation. Where where are those new skills needed that maybe are hard to adopt? Well, that's what I found the beauty of this. Like the things that I talk about is that it's so applicable across the board, universally, yeah. geographically. The stuff we've done globally is like, holy, sh can we cuss? I don't know. Yes. yes. Oh, cool. please. Fuck yeah. Excuse me. Go ahead, please. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, holy shit. You know, like this actually applies. Yeah. The signs of happiness, positive psychology, all this freaking applies around the world and across socioeconomic situations. And in your yeah. case, like large companies and small companies. And even better, it's easier to do, even though it's not easy, in smaller companies because there's a greater locus of control. Um, oh. So... And going back to what you're referencing, Andrea, like in terms of those companies that essentially double down on their people, outperform the S&P 500 consistently over the last 10, 15 years, but more importantly, even during economic downturns. So yeah. that one's like totally black and white. And what I like to build on that, say, is to remind leaders of any size of companies that if we treat people as assets, not expenses, you will find that it actually pays, not just because your heart gets bigger and your chest gets warmer, it's because you're actually making more money and becoming a more sustainable business. So mm -hmm. to answer your question, like sometimes, as I talk about laying that foundation of culture involves having a very specific higher purpose because you're not selling widgets, you're not selling shoes, you're not just you know doing what that company does, you're actually doing it with a greater purpose, doing it better, more than just making more money. Um, and having that higher purpose and having values that are instilled within the company are like basically foundational ways to get everyone aligned and rallied so that they know they're not just doing it for the paycheck. But to your question, which is very important, especially right now, given the volatility and uncertainty of all this freaking world, 
um what matters most is like the day-to-day stuff that people care about like sometimes we are living paycheck to paycheck sometimes we are dealing with you know child care like what am i going to do if i have to go back to work in the office every day so i think the most important thing when talking about purpose and values and embedding them in an organization is making sure whatever you're doing is making sure people understand it's for their betterment, for their individual life betterment. And that comes with being able to have leaders that are attentively listening to what's going on and saying honestly, transparently, like, look, we cannot solve everyone's problems, but if we want this company to grow because we want you to grow, we want to make sure you're feeling like you're going to have a job the next day, next week, whatever, next month, then therefore that connection is being bridged of not just what the company needs to be profitable, but having a constant dialogue with making sure everyone feels heard and understood as to how their needs are being met, knowing not everyone can be satisfied, but at least, and especially now, because anyone that says, oh, I got this figured out, like it's hybrid or it's in the office or remote, the truth is they need a reality appeal. You know, like there's no way anything, anyone's got to figure it out. So I think it really boils down to a different level of leadership um, in those quote unquote soft skills. It's like true leaders and then it goes to HBR and all the other, uh, you know, media outlets you're talking about. They're integrating more of that stuff for a reason because it actually works. Um, but the most important thing is like, don't compare yourself to any other company. You just got to figure it out for yourself. Don't your compare. own value, your own brand, all that stuff, your, um, and your own higher purpose, and obviously your own people. Just to piggyback on that, um, we had done a thing recently about the concept of corporate math, um, where basically um, people are, or like companies are putting too much on a single employee and then like making that the new baseline. So it's like, yeah. oh, maybe in the sense of COVID and stuff like that, where you had oh, you have to wear multiple hats. So you had to do more jobs or whatever. And mm-hmm. that didn't become temporary. It's permanent. And now you're doing the work of three people's jobs. And that becomes the new normal where each person they bring on is now expected to do those three jobs or whatever it might be. And there's this level of, of like not being promoted and keep expecting to do more and more. And the idea of not being treated like a human at a certain point where it almost feels like how much can you squeeze out of me? You know what I mean? And that is where it like ties into um, that's like so much of the discussion we got back from it was like, I just don't feel like a human at my job. And and that's a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, I think, would infinitely change that because it's like feeling respected and at least feeling that the company is trying to like help you or to do better things goes so much more. You know what I mean? Like then how many pennies can we save by making one person do it all? Yeah. Totally. And, and I can I, see that with COVID because like if, if Brian got COVID right now, God forbid, but I'm sure he's fully vaccinated and ready to fight it. But then and then I'm like, oh, we have Jen booked today. I can step in and I can do Brian's job and my job. And then thankfully, Andrea does not do this. But you can see how someone's like, well, we don't need Brian. Joanna did it both that one time, you know, no, because right. we need Brian. You, Let me just be clear. We, oh, we need Brian. <laughs> Brian, you're going no, to be healthy point, for a long time. No, but your point's a good yeah. one, uh, Joanna. But I feel like there's, I mean, in in reading um, the original book that you wrote with Tony, um, Delivering Happiness, uh, when he talked about the original layoffs at Zappos and how tough it was, and then when he talked about in 2008, 
reading the letter about how 8% of the workforce was going to get laid off and what it meant and all that they did to um, provide extra severance, that, that transparency, that integrity, I just, I was like, like, you know, yes, it's a it's a terrible outcome for eight percent of the people, but just the dignity and humanity that Tony and Zappo showed, I'm like, how is it that and I'm gonna I'm gonna name check like Google, like remember a handful of months ago, Google laid off ten thousand people and they got an email, right? Ooh, and yeah. you know, and, and it was just this profound lack of humanity. So Brian, to your I mean, kind of to two points. One, yes, there is that, oh yeah, you know, let's just keep dumping stuff on people. Um, but I feel like the yeah. other side of it is how how are corporations and leaders communicating with people? That feels often where the dehumanization is most yeah. acute. I mean, and totally. I just, it's, it's like, it's unconscionable. It's unconscionable. Yeah. So how did all those people miss the memo? Because it's so obvious. <laughs> like, that's not what you do. It is crazy. And, uh, and it's, and I like, I mean, I love the fact that you're bringing it's like being more human. That's why I went That's it's it. like delivering happiness is one thing. Going beyond happiness is where I'm going because it is about being that human is. at work. And mm -hmm. some got an email and others just woke up and couldn't freaking log in anymore. I mean, how right. humanizing is that? And people like oh were there God. for it decades. You're, it's a and we just learned that with a, yeah. a publication that that we've been all reading for years that I'm not going to name that that couldn't does it rhyme with another it might they <laughs> all of a sudden they just shut down the slack the company slack and that's how everyone yeah. learned and I think we forget they're like well these people aren't going to work for us anyway well how about everybody else working in the company yeah who has seen that that's what they did they just closed out your slack channels yeah that's how and you learn what's going to cause to the rest of it is like there's survivor's remorse and then there's just like they're just going to be all, you know, anxious the whole time, you know, wondering when they're next. But I think, yeah, like, that does not inspire loyalty. No, mm -hmm. no, opposite. I don't know, the whole yeah. quiet quitting phenomenon, right? Like that's happening more and more uh. as well. Um, but uh, I'm glad you brought up the Zappos thing because that was back in the day. But like fast forward to now, I think I have to put out there like what um, Airbnb did at the beginning uh -huh. of COVID and yeah. CEO Brian. Like that was a pretty analogous step. Pretty bold. It was brave and rare. Yeah, very Can we share what that was? Yeah, so he, they had a round of layoffs. I mean, you know how bad that was when travel was like put to a halt. And he just came out with this email that was very vulnerable and very honest about what was happening and the why. I mean, the biggest part of it, why is this happening? And then point by point of who's being impacted. Here are the resources. I mean, he actually dedicated internal resources to make sure as much as he can, the people getting laid off would have another home to go to, um, work to go to. Uh, and then also talking to the people that stayed and making sure yeah. they are still rallied. And they're like, you yes. know, like, hey, we still have a future. This is like tough, tough time. So all those, like there's a, there was just another poster child. And that was just one maybe one example of that whole time the other ones were like on the opposite end of zoom rooms and just basically inviting like hundreds of people and saying oh and just think you're all fired laughing. at once i mean it's like how is it no even idea possible? was happening it was like they thought it was yeah. an update so yeah and then of course like what happened with tesla and like you know that was a whole nother what the like what the what is happening with where how we're losing a sight disconnection from humanity 
and there's just no excuse anymore. I know that like, you know, we all know a lot of people that go up the ranks and like become powerful, brilliant leaders in their own right. Like we have to respect that value, but then being disconnected with the, the fact this person is a human being, that, that is uh, to me where that line cannot be crossed. And now we have more choices and ability to say and make a, you know, you know, think you know step with our feet and step with our uh wallets uh, towards yeah. what we think is right well let me let me come back i want to ask you something that uh, you know i referenced it in your bio but i feel like it's so mm. core to the people who have the integrity and and courage versus those that don't and i'm i want to find out from you how do we get real with ourselves first because my um, sense is the leaders who get real with themselves first are the ones that are more likely to understand that the importance of humanity and courage and integrity. So how how do we do that? Because I think a lot of people go, oh, I want to I want to get real with myself first. I don't know how. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, especially as a leader, in recognizing all the things and decisions that you made to that point to your success. It doesn't necessarily make up who you are or necessarily what's right with or what's actually the core of who you, who you are. And getting real is the, a huge level of self-awareness, a huge level of being able to actually surround yourself with people that you can trust in that level of awareness. And it's really doing what I call the life work, the life work of, look, I've got all these strengths and this is all the like, things I can contribute to society. But at the same time, I can also be open to recognizing my shadow sides, to recognizing yeah. my blind spots, to going deeper in those things that I've been, you know, um, uh, like putting under the rug because it's hurtful or painful or causes me anxiety or scary. and or scary yeah. in ways that debilitates me because I can't do my job and I can't bring out this value in the world without knowing that if you actually address those things, it'll actually create, create bigger value and more impact in deeper ways alongside all the other things that they're doing. So I think it's, um, that's when true authentic leaders come out. It is by acknowledging and doing, doing that, that life, work. Doing, doing yeah, that life work. That whole rest of the life's work um, and being humble enough to understand that they don't have all the answers. Well, totally. I think that, that I just, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think there's this uh, traditional idea of respect, like who should respect who so that if I feel that Andrea might be doing something with the magazine that I disagree with, I could never say it because it'd be disrespect. But Andrea is always like, lay it on me. Bring it on. What should we do? What's your idea? And that's why so many of us have worked for her for so long. But I can imagine, especially when you get these older white guys that have been following a tradition of their fathers and grandfathers yeah. the patriarchy the idea right and the toxic yeah the idea of like right? yeah yeah that assistant editor coming up to the ceo and being like i have a thought and mm -hmm. it's like so disrespectful you have to let go well, it's of like the questioning idea. authority well yeah. totally but it's yeah. like faux power and what just what makes me excited and listening to you jen because i've done a, a ton of my own life work and when i think about it's afforded me so much freedom and, yeah. and there's no way there's no, it, you can't go around. You can only go through, but to me, the amazing secret in all of this is I want to be a little careful here. I, <laughs> I'm obviously not bulletproof, 
but I feel like I am way more powerful because I don't have things to hide. Right. And I just feel yeah. like by, you know, for other leaders to do that work. And I mean, it's just back to you can I can own it all because that is it's so much easier, actually, and liberating to just yeah. to be authentic and to be open to where yeah. your shortcomings are. It's and not having to hide them and not mm -hmm. well, totally and not having to pretend there is like yeah. this this uh, faux veneer of perfection. Like, fuck that. Right. Like yeah. that's yeah. dehumanizing. Like to me, the whole thing <laughs> is we dehumanize ourselves. Right. Yeah. Very unconsciously. And totally. I feel like if in whether you're a leader of a big company or a smaller team or a leader of yourself to do that work and you go, this is the greatest thing I can do for myself. Right. Yeah. It's the scariest, but it's also the most liberating and empowering. Yes. And I think what you said in terms of freedom, it's like so many people have different f definitions of freedom. And we're not talking about like freedom to, of where am I going to go for my next trip or what am I going right. to eat for lunch? It's like freedom of your own limiting beliefs, freedom from your own anxieties yeah. and stress that are freedom. coming onto you because it's like you're literally lighter in terms of like emotionally, physically and all that because all this other stuff has been lifted up by acknowledging it. And that's when we're talking about you're liberated to think in more creative ways because you don't have that's that right. burden of other stuff that you have to pretend to be of this leader that you're like, you know, of the veneer of what you want yeah. people to believe uh, versus just who you are naturally you know, from inside. You know, there's it's a, radical and obvious. What can I say? It's radical and obvious. Yeah. <laughs> not rocket right. science. There's but, a, it's, yeah. but it's freaking hard. It is freaking hard. I do want to say it like, is this stuff is hard. not easy. I, I agree. It's the yes. hardest thing we'll ever do, honestly. It is. For leaders that have yeah. like done amazing stuff, it's the hardest thing we'll ever do to acknowledge the fact that we are not perfect or not, you know, brilliant yeah. in all these yeah. ways. But it's the most freaking worthwhile thing that we can ever do, just selfishly well, for yeah, ourselves. I, and therefore, totally, but I love everyone else. I, I love the idea for people that do that and show that, right? I mean, it's like we give other we give permission to other people to shine their brightest, right? And I used to, I used to yeah. like when I would have success, I'd kind of like, all right, let me kind of like, you know, be toxically humble, where because it's like, oh, I don't <laughs> want other people to feel badly, and now I've been able to reframe that. It's like, Andrew, it's not about other people feeling badly; it's about yeah. you you know, again, being authentic and, um, and just that permission business. I mean, because as social yeah. creatures, I feel like when we, when we're authentic and true to ourselves, both in the, in the joys and highs, as well as in the, the lows and the, um, um, fear and doubt, like to me that yeah. it, it all comes full circle in a way that is again, really transformative. Sorry, Joanna, go ahead. It please. Is. Well, I'm going to say yeah. two things. And one is I'm going to reference the Barbie movie. So please forgive me. Um, oh no! But I Barbie always all the way as long as it's not like uh, like the Ken whatever the Ken. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to do the Ken dance. We don't like the Ken no, kingdom. I'm not do the Ken dance. But I think oh. about you know watching it with my five year old daughter, and I did take her to it. Uh, some people might say that was inappropriate, but watching the Barbies get up and like one receives like a Nobel Prize, and she's like, "Thank you, thank you. I worked hard. I deserve this." And like they just take the credit. Yeah. And, and you're like, yeah. oh my gosh, I didn't realize how, I know how scary it is that. To Can you even do that take... as a woman? Is that allowed? You couldn't. <laughs> you have to. It's only in Barbie land. Like it's, a, you yeah. know, we and we may want to modify that. Like, thank you. Thank you. I deserve yeah. it. You you might want to show some love for your team. But I, Snoop Dogg, there's a meme about that, right? Like I did all the work. It's all me. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, but there's a balance that to that. 
Yeah, the idea of like, yeah. oh, no, no, you know, the company isn't where I want it to be yet, but thank you very much, as opposed to like, thank you, we've worked so hard, I have a great team, I really have a vision. Being able to balance giving credit and love out while acknowledging your own hard work and your own commitment yeah. to being successful. The other yeah. thing I was going to mm -hmm. say is you all are talking about there's there's a burden to having to be strictly in this traditional kind of structure where things don't change. And I think of um, Rosalind Wiseman did a sociological study on the structure of boys' lives, their social structures, as if they were a foreign culture, boys in our culture. <laughs> and um, the masterminds, it's called masterminds and wingmen. The masterminds are the number one guy in the group, okay? And then there's all these different layers, you know, and it's much like a business. There's a there's a money bags and there's a joker and there's a whatever in this social structure. The masterminds are even in the most popular groups are some of the most unhappy boys in the school because Burn. they have Burn. such a burden to um, have to always have that leader face, that perfect face. You can't feeling corrupt. like they have to have the answer, right? They have to have the answer. They have to know That's where the burden. party is. They have to. Yeah, they have to always well, dress that way that they're expected to dress and date that person there's so it's a burden and it does make me think of how i don't know if it's a chicken or an egg but we then take those boys or those girls in the girl culture and we promote them and then they go on and they keep doing this perfectionistic thing and this mm -hmm. i'm i'm i know the way i don't need your advice and it becomes a burden yeah to that leader because it's about well, expectations very much hallmark of the patriarchy sorry jen yeah ahead. No, no, good. Uh, I was just saying because I think it's based on, and this kind of blends in with the your earlier point too. But because of that social external expectation that keeps on growing outside of them, and when you're continue to be um, answering to that versus what's actually going on inside and the core and doing the life work of actually what's you know what's going on inside, that just keeps on building and building, building all these layers and facades of what you think you need to be based on those expectations but what I think could be helpful in all this of of that Barbie of like you know acknowledging and say and taking you know if you credit credits due for yourself at the same time credits due for the team etc something that I think we can be better at is making sure that those like the sentiment of we are in service of coexist yes. between mm -hmm. both ourselves I'm in service of myself because I know uh -huh. if I'm not, you know, true and honest and authentic, I have nothing that I can share that will benefit others. Yeah. And then in service of others, coexisting at the same time, if we can keep those yeah. in our mind, then it's okay to take that, you know, like that accolade for self, but then just realizing what we're here for too in service of others. Yeah, it really, I feel like it's, it, that's wisdom, right? And having that balance, it's, a, and, you know, humility is such a, such a virtue right but so is you know so is confidence and so it just it does feel like it it's finding that balance but no. um, i want to ask you about the greenhouse method because it feels like this conversation is naturally leading to that and how we grow each other i just love that concept but will you talk about what the greenhouse method is and then you know how do, how yeah. do we how do we practice it yeah so it's um it goes back to Okay, so there's a couple of things. So, like, yeah, I've been in the happiness space, as you said earlier, almost two decades. Mm -hmm. Crazy, but like, you know, from. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's just so interesting to see how that's evolved. And and what I realized, like, there will be still people that 
you know, within the workplace, C-level CFOs, nothing against you, but I know you're all about the number. But like, it's like, they're <laughs> always saying, like, there's just naysayers. It's like, it just does not belong there. Like, happiness, you know, you can figure it out yourself, but just not in the workplace. So I'm not here to twist anyone's arm because I know that happiness, real sustainable happiness is about higher purpose. It's about authenticity, things that don't normally, you know, it's not the rainbows and unicorns things, but things. And so for me, going beyond was talking about what is something that people cannot deny, especially You're since what we got went through like in the last few years, it's like we can't deny that we want to grow. And so that's yeah. how I sort of evolved it to the greenhouse method. Um, and it was sort of evolved from this idea that Tony and I used to talk about. So Tony was like, oh, we're all leaders as um, we could think of it as a greenhouse because we as leaders want to create the conditions for others to grow. And I said, yes, you know, we don't have to be the biggest tree, tallest plant, you know, whatever. But, um, right. But we want to create those conditions. And I was like, hell yes. But what I realized during writing, like the book writing during 2020 was that there was a big part of the equation that we were missing, which was, yes, we naturally want to, you know, tend to other greenhouses, but at the same time, we have to tend to ourselves. And that mm -hmm. was the biggest learning. And again, not rocket science. But, you know, it's the whole metaphor of, you know, when you're in a plane, oxygen mask, you first. And we freaking forgot. Like, we forgot because, well, we couldn't fly for a few years, so we maybe forgot because of that. But we just have not reinstilled that in today's terms. Like, how do we actually be the best leader, be the best mom, dad, you know, whatever it is and what we want to lead in while making sure we're nurturing and tending to our own greenhouse, too. So that's the premise of it all. So in the book, I kind of go more in the brass tags of like how we actually do it. But um, yeah, that's the background. But I just love it. I mean, it's such a wonderful visual. I'm also a gardener. And when I just think about the idea of, okay, greenhouse, you know, here in Colorado, um, you don't grow um, things in December typically, but the it's just such a great metaphor for how we grow each other. Uh, we interviewed a really wonderful uh, actually, John Gottman's number one uh, psychotherapist, her name is Sue Johnson. And this concept of growing each other is something she talks yeah. a lot about. And and it just, again, it's so, in a lot of ways, it's so obvious. And yet it's like there's such an opportunity to talk about these things and and try to internalize them. Um, okay, I have uh, I, I have only about a million more questions, so hopefully you've got about seventeen hours. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> you you had mentioned Marathon. quiet quitting, and I think Joanna and, and Brian are like, oh yeah, yeah, quiet quitting. Um, yeah. Oh God, on the one hand, I want to say it's BS, and yet, in fact, I'll I'll share this little anecdote. So I I kind of had a little like so so stupid because I think you know as as somebody who's so self motivated and has had the benefit of of running a company for a long time and building a culture that's strong. In my mind, I'm like, manifest destiny, right? Make it happen. And and if it's not happening for you, make it happen kind of thing. And then uh, on further, more humble reflection, I thought, oh, there are people in these sincerely toxic workplaces where it's like a it's like a abusive relationship where they're <laughs> quietly quitting because they actually can't make it happen for themselves. And whether it's an abusive boss or like Brian was saying, you know, more and more is getting uh, layered upon them. So I did, you know, just want to give that extra ref reflection. But I I'd, I'd be curious about your thoughts about quiet quitting and what can bosses mm -hmm. do to help avoid their team want to do that, wanting to do that to them. Yeah. So I think 
there was merit to quiet quitting and the fact that it was a TikTok phenomenon and it was like, you know, mm-hmm. got viral and all that stuff. Um, well, and and there is an empowerment in that, right? Saying, I'm going to take the power back. It's It was just, I think people were just like, when they first saw that, it was like, oh, that's totally what I need. And like, we saw the mm-hmm. pendulum swing. I mean, the great resignation was also an indicator of that. It's like millions of people a month when things were still going freaking crazy and we had no idea what's going yep. on with the economy, we're freaking quitting. So yeah, the, I think there's something to be learned in, because um, a lot of the other like haters of it, they're like, you know, when I was growing up, like we put 110% every day, you know, it's like, okay, that's cool. And that's, you know, work for you. But let's be real. Showing up every day doesn't mean you're at 100 or 110% every day. Showing up yeah. every day means you're showing up as yourself that day. That means some days you're freaking thriving, some days you're freaking not. And knowing there's that spectrum uh, at any given day, and there could be, you could be, you know, feel like you're multiple things at once, but being able to name that I think is most important. And I think for leaders to, again, really create um, that sense of like attentive listening through psychological safety is a huge part of where we're at right now. And psychological safety, real quick, if, uh, um, I think it's an important study that really like drives this in how important it is. Like Google did this thing called the Aristotle Project, and this was yeah. about 30,000 employees, three years longitudinal study. Their one question was how do you make the most effective teams? And you know, even they go, oh, it must be the manager or the technology, but it wasn't. It was psychological safety for those teams that could celebrate their wins and say oh shit we fucked up like openly Mm -hmm. those were most Mm -hmm. effective and that just also speaks to the kind of teams we want now less hierarchical more about self-management more about autonomy all those things that are wrapped around what that means but going back to this um notion of psychological safety if you really want to absolve those fears of quiet quitting open up that space and don't penalize people. Don't fire them on the spot for sharing things. Create a sense of belonging. I mean, this is a big buzzword right now and actually actually do that. Um, Those are the things that I think can help address and then therefore make make sure you have more well-informed data and qualitative, quantitative input into your decisions and how you need to adapt. So I think it's important to just put it out on the table. And I think that's how we're going to be able to navigate in this <laughs> super complex world. Well, totally. I didn't realize it was called the Aristotle Project, so thanks. I've, I, I probably have gone back. The New York Times covered that uh, Google study uh, in the T Magazine, and I think um, or Times Magazine, whatever it's called, at like seven yeah. years ago maybe. And I just I remember reading it and going, again, um, radical and obvious and to your point where it's like oh are these the smartest people are they the people that look the most alike and it's like ding ding <laughs> yeah. ding they just happen to create safety among themselves and yeah. i mean it's like it, you know again um radical but but something that i also feel like is so accessible we'll pop that into the show notes a, a link to that because i do think i mean i've shared it with i can't tell you how many people it's like oh hey this is a good idea right so obvious but so valuable okay on a related question you know it's all quiet quitting and um and it's all the the tension between 
for people who um, are able to work from home. And a big shout out to the teachers, to the policemen, to the nurses, to the uh, grocery store, grocery store shelf stockers, the people that Hospital can't work remotely. Needs. Thank you a million. We are so grateful. Um, but for those of us who can, you know, who are, if you will, in the knowledge economy and so forth, what would you say to Elon Musk and these others that insist on back in person? Mm, I would say, and we've learned this from the past too. Like, um, I don't know if you remember, Marissa Meyer did it in Yahoo. Oh, like, yes. Oh before, my gosh, like, she got skewered. Did she but, did? Because she also had hired like she had her own nursery for her child next to her. Yes, office. And, and just for everybody listening, um, Marissa Mayer was the uh, CEO of Yahoo. Gosh, fifteen years ago. Yeah, and took over and, and ins- yeah, and insisted on people coming back to the office. But it was like a trust deficit, right? My r- okay. memory of it was she felt like, well, I guess they could be home and not working, and and yeah, yeah. she was skewered for it. Yeah. And then she you've was, got, so- in contrast, you've got Yvonne Chonard from Patagonia, who forever right. has had a workplace culture where you could just propose what would be the best structure for you and incredible childcare and preschool totally. right there in the building. And he did that. I don't know. He started that like in the 80s or 70s. He started doing that. So enlightened. Yeah. And yeah, Patagonia yeah, walking that walk. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With consistency. And the, so to answer a question and, and kind of tying that in, like when you unilaterally make unilaterally make this decision, like you got to come back in the office because that's the way we're going to get more productive again. And like back to you, um, engagement again, it's it's just if you don't have the why behind it, it's just not going to stick. And or I think a that's real why, why versus, hey, we've got to pay. We're paying our yeah. uh, our ungodly rent and we want to be able to justify it to ourselves. Like that's right. not a good reason. Yeah. Like the true why yeah. of having a bit mm-hmm. of like data to back it up based on what's been going on specific to the company, specific to that location, specific to the people in yeah. it. So that I just think is just based on more of like old school thinking of like, oh, we you know, something's got to change and so that we knew this worked before but it really doesn't work today and so i think that's the biggest thing of like being understand in today's terms and doing the research enough just enough to understand and that includes like the, the sense of psychological safety and understanding what people are saying using that at least having a more educated hypothesis on what we're going to try so it's going to be hybrid for some folks it's going to be in the office for some folks and these are the reasons why and sometimes it's like okay. you have to, like you, you got to, if you're going to be a nurse or a doctor, you got to show up, you know, like, and then sometimes there's not, right. like if you're in the admin office, there's other reasons. And so everyone actually, as a leader makes these decisions and everyone being able to understand that makes the biggest difference. You might not love it. It might not be ideal for you. And then, you know, this is easier to say than BC before COVID, but it's <laughs> really time to ask yourself, is this how I want to be spending my time? with this boss, with these leaders, with my coworkers. Because if you think about it in the broad spectrum of how we spend our lives, I mean, you've heard this before, like most of our, when we're working, most of our lives are spent with our coworkers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you gotta ask yourself, like, do I really wanna be around people or bosses that I can't stand for my life? So- Oh God, these, no, hard. God, no, please yeah. get a different job, right? I yeah. mean, for anybody who's like, who is going, oh, that's a tough decision. Let me just give you the answer. Get a new job. I mean, yeah, I know it's don't, hard, don't but... pay that price. Yeah. 
if anything, the great resignation is indicative of like, look, we are at least prioritizing our like what's most mm-hmm. important from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep. At least we're taking a bigger reflection on and how we want to spend that time. Well, so one thing you said was come come to your employees with data. So that old model of like you have to come in because I said so, because we need to watch you every second while you work, and and that that's going to make people hate you. And you're saying, but come to them with data, like really come. Cause so for at my comp, my husband runs a company and he has had trouble with certain aspects of having people working from home. And what okay. I'm hearing from you is that might be a thing that doesn't work as well for some parts of your company. And instead of just being like, everyone's coming in the end or everyone in this department has to come in five days. It's more like do the research. Find out, A, if you're actually correct that your company does better when everyone's in the office. And then B, if it's true that that it, that for whatever reason it runs better, you're more productive, you're more profitable when people are in the office, show that to people. Mm-hmm. And then ask for their feedback maybe about how do we, if you want to be hybrid, how can we get to this thing I can show right here while you're working hybrid and include them in that conversation? Because I think yeah. we're in a binary right now where it's like evil boss needs people in office and Wants then nice boss them. lets people choose. Yeah. yeah. But there may be a place where it's like, gosh, being able to be more productive and 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 profitable actually helps us because we're going to help you in this way. Yeah, totally. And then becomes a virtuous. Oh, uh, just and in what you're saying, it becomes a virtuous cycle because nothing is static. We need to adapt, and by having that process of collecting that data, synthesizing what that might mean, offering this is like this is one thing we're going to test. For the next three months so that everyone knows that like we're not stuck in this for the, like for the rest of our life and then just like in learning and then embedding and integrating that into the next becomes more of what we actually need to do which is actually adapt knowing that things keep on changing around us sorry andrea yes, great no, practical no, I, advice well totally yeah i mean it really it comes back to that adaptation uh one of our new team members nicole recently said something to me about I'm getting getting comfortable with discomfort. And it's so obvious again, but I was like, yeah. oh yeah, that's a superpower, right? And you know, and, totally. and discomfort in the face of uncertainty, that's a superpower, right? But it's it's profoundly uncomfortable. Um, but I wanna ask yeah. about our work. So we're, you know, kind of when I think out of the office versus in the office, we at your tango are completely virtual. We've been completely virtual for seven, eight years. And some of my favorite closest friends work with me and some of them I haven't met in real person. It's crazy. Uh, So we've, we've proven that it works, but, um, but I also get having worked in brick and mortar in previous places like Enron, um, that there is something about that up up close and personal and Zappos. I mean, in, in you guys writing that book and describing that culture and so forth, it would stretch the imagination to believe that there would have been as much intimacy if if everybody was completely remote. And so I want to ask, yeah. because uh, you guys talk a lot about in the book, um, work friends, right? And how these really were a big part of, especially when um, Zappos moved from San Francisco to Las Vegas, that it was like, oh, yeah. well, there are 70 people. You know, you may not know anybody in Las Vegas, but you know 69 other people that have moved along with the company, those are your friends. So my question for you, uh, are work can work friends be real friends? Why or why not? Uh, I have a like super simple answer. Hell yes. 
<laughs> Woo, um, thank you. <laughs> we need to ring the bell. Cowbell, cowbell. <laughs> Hell yes. And, and again, going back to that stat, like we're spending, the people that we spend time with most at the end of the day are our coworkers, our partners. Same thing applies there. If you're not getting along with them, you really should find a new one. And then ourselves. So those three things. Um, so why not really try to find those that are really work friends? And way, the way we found it work at Zappos and then for with delivering happiness and how we help the other organizations figure it out is like you can have different uh, opinions on politics. You can have different opinions on what you want to eat for lunch or what you want to drink at night. But when you really instill and embed what true values are, what your true behaviors are out of those values and that higher purpose, that's what we actually more intrinsically and deeper in a deeper way connect on. Because all of a sudden when you're talking about things that are not like, um, what are you watching on Netflix or what are you binging on on anything? And when you're talking about how does this value apply to you? So one of our values is be true to your or be true to your weird self then. Like mm-hmm. what how does that apply to you? If it's a, a value about integrity or connection or whatever those values are, when you hear people talking about their values and their purpose in their own lives, and you'd be surprised, um, like even in our team, we have people all across the board on the political spectrum and all across the board in terms of like what they think about really, really divisive potentially topics. But we all connect and we all align because we share a higher purpose. And for ours, it's like, you know, I'm going beyond happiness now, but that's where those real friendships come from. Because you're basing it on what's actually most meaningful, you know, inside, not just on the external This feels stuff. so key. And Andrea and I talk about mm-hmm. this all the time where it's like, where have we, how have we gotten to the point in society where I would only talk to somebody who votes like I vote? I would never mm-hmm. be friends with somebody who votes differently. And And you're making such a good point because I think back to my job where I worked in a store from 2001 to 2005 and it was like, we were all so in it together that when something divisive happened, it was like, yeah, but I know their work ethic. I know that person shows up for me. I know that person is the one that's grueling when the computers break alongside me. So yeah. that difference becomes less relevant. Whereas I can see without our in-office or in that case, in-store culture, I could just take that person's politics and let that define that person. Yeah, become caricatures. Oh, wow. Well, I want to chime in because I think, um, oh yeah, there's like, there's so much richness in this. I'm going to, I promised harken back to my Enron days. So I was a analyst living in India um, in the late nineties. And it was an, it was like us against the world mentality. We had a shared purpose um, in, in, in a huge, very much groundbreaking power project we did. And it was, they hired a lot of very type A hardworking people and it just, it reminds me, honestly, of um, Sebastian Younger's book, Tribe, and the various examples he uses. Um, and and obviously, at the extreme, it's dangerous, right? When we see political tribalism, that's very bad for society. But when you think of, you know, uh, organizations, and even I was in New York after 9-11, and the feeling of, you mm. know, oh, you're a stranger on the street, we're in it together, baby, right? Yeah, and yeah, he showed yeah. all these examples of having that that sense of belonging and that sense of purpose. And um, and so when I th- think about what, what, when I've been motivated or how, how the Enron experience where it was a very close knit, um, group of people that worked hard for that common outcome, 
that's what I wanted mm-hmm. to replicate in building my business. And it doesn't nice. matter what the business is. It's that feeling of yeah. we're in it together. We trust and respect each other. I mean, again, radical and obvious. And mm-hmm. yet it's like that's that has enabled, like you said, Joanna, we have so many of our team have been with us five, 10, some 15 years. Um, okay. So I have yeah, a, a yeah. Uh, I have a um, kind of a, a corollary to that. So if hell yeah, work friends can and are real friends. We are real friends, Brian and Joanna. I mean, of course we are. Um <laughs> What about, what about, you know, uh, your workplace being your family? Is that something that you espouse or is that like, oh, that's the bridge too far? <laughs> that's been controversial. Uh, yeah, I, I know. That's what I'm asking you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you got some good questions there, Andrea. Uh, <laughs> I love your questions. I think that, okay, so it's, it's controversial because some people just like draw that line again of like, yeah has to be a distinction and so for me i think it can be applicable but it doesn't have to be yeah and it really depends on that organizational culture organizational leadership how you define it because who got bitten the ass um i think the salesforce ceo um because he had benny off yes oh my god he totally you remember what he he was like yeah 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 he didn't win and, and and to yeah, give him credit with credit, see, he's done a lot of really amazing stuff with his he's culture. He's done a lot of amazing things, and he's human too, right? I mean, well, that's what yeah, you guys we want. We want what leaders he did. to be authentic, right? Okay, yeah. good call, good call. So it was the yeah. Hawaiian. I can, I'm not remembering the term right now, but it's basically a Hawaiian saying for family. Oh, aloha or uh, um, yeah, yeah, not um, aloha. No, um, not hello. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to it. <laughs> it's yeah. the, it's what Disney named their oh, resort. Hana. Ohana. Well, Hana. Oh, yes. Hana. Oh, there he goes. Thanks, Brian. That's close. Uh, got the same balance. <laughs> but yeah, it was. Um, he did. He did it during. Uh, he mentioned it during uh, layoffs. I think it was beginning oh, of this okay. year. And so there was just a lot of back chatter, and not so back chatter because now everything's so public amongst people that were at Salesforce and saying, How, this does, you know, imply this does not feel like that at all. Like this, where's Ohana and this? Well, and he was really late to the, it was like he was doing yeah, a was big a little, ma- layoff a and a... he was like 20 or 30 minutes late. I mean, there were a handful yeah. of things. And again, he's brilliant, a genius and totally. he screwed up and he's human. But yeah. It was just a bit tone deaf that day. That, that day. Yeah. yeah. Just hit yeah. off the mark. But um, yeah, so that's where, I think the biggest thing is making sure like you're actually walking your talk. If you are saying yeah. it's a family atmosphere, what does that mean? And is that what you're actually doing? Um, yeah. That, another example, Netflix is like, we are not a family. Like, just don't get that. You know, that's not part of our language. And so it's like really like having that clarity and defining what that means. I think that's the biggest uh-huh. thing. So, yeah, it can exist, but it doesn't have to. Well, I was just editing an article for one of our experts who said, don't have a work wife or a work husband because it <laughs> makes you loyal in a way that's going to harm your career. And, and it's a strong position, and that's why I like the article, actually, because she's saying you become unnaturally loyal. You're not pledging forever to this person at work the way you would with a spouse, and that framing is going to end up setting you back. What do you think of that? Huh. I didn't. I never heard the like uh, the potential downside of that. Um, yeah, that, that was the first time I heard that, too, and I was like, oh, my gosh. That's yeah. interesting. Well, I guess there's a reason why people get divorced, right? <laughs> because it's not yeah, working yeah, that yeah. anymore. <laughs> They're holding it back. Or separation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think uh, that whole thing can 
I think it's all, all in the in the framing of it, right? Like, is it a yeah. healthy relationship or not? And um, yeah, I think it can be used in beneficial ways. And it's I total random aside. With... Oh, oh, go ahead, go go go. Uh, so total random aside, like talking about a work wife or husband. So my CFO, uh, his name is Eugene, and I call him Huge for short. So every time I'm like, hey, Huge, it automatically um, does the autocorrect to wife. So <laughs> my iPhone knew it was my Funny. work wife before I did. And then I'm like, oh, you are my work wife. Oh, oh that's, that's so hilarious. Funny. That's so cute. Have well, you heard of the, say... the concept oh. of, oh, I'm sorry. No, you go first. No, 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 go, Brian. I know where you're going. And that's such a better thing than I'm about to say. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I was just <laughs> say, like, uh, we talk about it a lot. Have you heard of the concept of like the work mom where um, like Gen Z, like women will be in the workplace and, and they'll like, um, like, want to seek out like those who are more established and stuff to kind of like go under their wing and there's been like this meme of like oh hey how was your day honey and it's like oh yeah this like new 22 year old girl like really loves me at the office it's like oh how do I tell her you just became her work mom (laughs) (laughs) is it gender specific I mean is it not is it not the the young men and the young women or is it really I mean probably for okay I we mean, probably, probably frame it familially through yeah. some tra- sort of patriarchal thing where as a young man mm-hmm. goes into a workplace, he has a mentor. Whereas like if like well, Diana, yeah. who is our assistant here, comes in, she might see me as a work mom instead of a mentor. Just that kind of weird gendered thing, actually. Well, I, 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 I almost like I was going to say it almost feels more protective, though, because it's like the work mom does want to totally like, different keep you vibe. Safe. Yeah. yeah. One is. Yeah. yeah. That maternal looking out for each other. You know, there's a little more of an intimacy implied. But hang on, we're not even letting Jen answer. Jen, we're going to be quiet now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure there was a question in there. Oh, yeah, oh, I don't think there was a question, a question yeah. in there. I think we're all just talking. Well, have you heard of that concept and stuff? Oh, yeah, like, I actually haven't. But it's an interesting oh, okay. uh, point made about, like, the, the gender thing, well, work mom versus work dad. Brian just well, wanted to say work mom on the air. Okay, yeah. 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 No, totally. Just yeah. like that box. Ching, ching. Yeah, I need a work mom. That was my call to... Uh... <laughs> Um, okay, I have I have more questions. Um, okay, Listen. should we all be worried that AI will replace our jobs? I think you've written about AI and all that jazz. So, do you have an opinion here? I, yeah. So, I in this, uh, I think stuff that I wrote, maybe you read in the book obviously was you know before ChatGPT blew up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so now, even more so, I think that when people talk about future of work we talked about that for a long last time and then all of a sudden 2020 happened and the future of work was happening then and now like is happening all the stuff like well remote and all the stuff robotics and ai so we're living in it and so i think it's actually this is prime time of course there's going to be fear of what ai is doing it's doing amazing stuff at the same time yeah there's going to instill the sense of fear like holy shit like how i'm gonna you know Basically, 80% of what I do on a day-to-day basis can be done um, by ChatGPT. So I think it's normal to have that fear going back to where we started with this conversation. It's like, we want to survive. We want to be able to thrive. It's like, yeah, but then let's think about, because my interpretation of the future of work is actually is human. Because we knew this was coming. We knew major transformation was going to happen with the advent of this and the whole topic of singularity and and basically when computers overtake consciousness of you know humans and intelligence so 
because we knew that was coming and now we the difference between what's going to AI is going to evolve is how we do it with a sense of integrity and ethics and things that have been always important, but now all of a sudden heightened. So what I would yeah. say to your question is like, because we knew this and yeah, like the fact that we are aware of these changes that are going to be exponentially happening that get, we can't even control or predict. Uh, let alone what happened with ChatGPT, it's going to even go even quicker at exponential rate. I don't think we need to fear it though, you know, because I think that we are learning more and more because it's out there now. We're actually understanding what it can and cannot do um, today, and therefore that's why I think this whole life work is so important to understand that in tandem. So then the fear is dialed down, and the more sense of control and autonomy autonomy we have what we know we could put on the table as a human being that AI cannot, at least for now, replace, that is where I think we should be focused on and why the future of work is more human because that those are the questions that we need to answer more intentionally. More it's a than good before. reminder, too, yeah. to think about the things that we've been afraid of in the past um, and how change is always scary. Like I think about when my oldest nephew was born, my grandfather was certain that him drinking out of a sippy cup meant that he would never learn how to drink out of a cup. So wow. He was just—he was like, you can't let him have that sippy cup. This is horrible. He's never going to learn how to drink out of a cup. And I can say now he's a college senior and he knows how to drink out of a cup. So like, oh, the, but it was new, right? Like the yeah. things we're so afraid of and then it becomes normal and then the kids do a new thing or the young people or the computer programmers and we become afraid of it it's like remind yourself everything new is scary yeah and then well, you but can I kind think of that, yeah uh, but i think yeah, that even goes back to our to uh, uh, you know doing the doing your own work right because uh -huh. when i think uh -huh. about if you're willing yep. to do your own work and face your own scary truths which for most people they're actually not that scary they're 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 common uh that if you are willing to do that, I feel like you are much more prepared to face the scary things outside of you. And I for sure have found that in my own business. I mean, we've been through a, a handful of near-death experiences. My husband, Sanjay, was so supportive. I mean, I remember a couple of the early days where I was like, oh, we're not going to survive. And he's like, that's just a problem to be solved, right? And like, rather than, oh my gosh, the world's coming crashing down, and so now I'm so much more courageous because I've had to face so many of these scary things and done a lot of my inner work, but it makes me think exactly to what you're saying, Jen. It's like, uh -huh. we're going to be, you know, people will be, you know, people in our society more broadly, better prepared, but I bring it back to the individual because let's face it, it's all about what, you know, each, each individual is doing. Are they going to show up and be fearful or are they going to go, oh, here's an opportunity. And even listening yeah. to, um, delivering happiness when I think about what what Tony and his pals were doing in the early 90s and mm -hmm. the business they, that they built by being curious and taking some good risk right it just it makes me think that that um uh willingness to experiment and try things is available to mm -hmm. just about everybody and and so yeah I I have the optimism that you have and you know but I do feel like it's back to Ooh, how can each of us be personally empowered in the yeah. face of what can be scary change? Yeah. And I would just, I would actually say it's not just optimism. I think it's optorealism in that. Optorealism, I, I think it's very right? Oh, I like that word. As well. Yeah. 
Um, we and... both just picked up our pens to write that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Really at the same time, we both like optimism. says optimism. Literally at the same moment. Pens are out. Good. That's why we got it. Time for the interesting. Okay, I've got I've got a couple other things that I love. In your book, Going back, could I, I mean, can I, I can I just make a oh, mention real quick of like oh, what you yeah, just yeah. said in that like no, why yeah, it's so please. important for the individual self because uh, and it ties back mm-hmm. to something you started this conversation with is like mm-hmm. um, why it's important to go inward to the internal stuff because we know okay. things are impermanent and going back yeah. to you starting this conversation with like Tony died you know we're all gonna die mm-hmm. we're all gonna lose ourselves mm-hmm. we're all lose people that we love. Mm-hmm. You know, like that is not being morbid. It's just being real. And so therefore totally. what can we do in a life of impermanence is to focus on what we can control within. And that's like no matter what, we have this unforeseen stuff coming. At least we can ground ourselves in that. And that's our, you Oh, know, my God. Uh, Brian, can we, get a, yeah. can we get the whole, our whole studio audience clapping right now? Thank you. <laughs> That's AI. I mean, that's it. Yeah. No, it's not. We have like four people sitting here right in my, real, in my little real claps. Yeah. We real do claps. always joke no, about the word AI and how it's like now we never would have called it AI before. We have a million things we were using that used AI. We just didn't call it that before. Now it's much yeah. scarier, right? I mean, yeah. literally yeah. autocorrect. Yeah. Yes, autocorrect. So many things, right? You know, something I heard the other day was really cool. Like AI is artificial intelligence, but it also is ancient intelligence. And if we put those things together mm-hmm. and what we can keep with the ancient and actually blend what's beneficial with artificial. But anyway, that was just a little I've always called it like out. programmatic, basically. Like, like I know we like the idea of artificial intelligence being not just sentient, but sapient, you know? And really? like that, that like almost pipe dream of like, oh, these thinking robots that are walking around. But in reality, artificial intelligence is just stuff that's like focused and designed to do usually a like singular task. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's like we said, like it's autocorrect. It's Google's, did you mean this, you know, or related anything's like all this stuff. It's just now gone to the extreme where it's like uh, you can program a much larger task. But in reality, like especially as someone who does stuff for creatively for a living, there's a lot of fear of like, oh, well, you know, yeah. AI art, do this, that, or the other replace. And it's like, you still need people to be driving creative decisions. You still need that. Like most of the stuff, at least in today's day and age with AI, it's like, it's, it's removing a lot of the legwork and a lot of barriers to entry. And that can be, you know, kind of scary, but like, um, that, that idea of like, fully being replaced by like autonomous uh, self-thinking and self-producing things, I think at least in today's day and age is still like a pipe dream. We, we yeah. It's probably maybe six months away. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, like Jen was saying psychological yeah. safety. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm thinking right now, if I'm in charge of a workplace and I know that collectively people are very worried about AI, I'm thinking I'm going to get ahead of this with my people because mm-hmm. like Jen said, create psychological safety. One of those That's things it, yeah. might be, hey, listen, I want to talk about this. What are your fears as far as AI in this company? And how can I reassure you how valuable you are to me? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I think yeah. there's a lot in that, that training, right? And being as as much as companies can be ahead. In fact, uh, Her? I, I was chatting with um, 
the person that runs uh, AWS, um, Adam Slipsky, recently, and he was just saying, like, we are so, it's like 1995 compared to the internet. You know, it's like, as far as how much is going to change and transform. So on the one hand, it's exciting and scary. And yet at the same time, it's like the, we're not even in the bottom of the, or top of the first inning. It's like, we're like, oh, there's a, there's a baseball field out there that, you know, I, and I say that because AWS is putting a ton into um, AI, right? Maybe both A's, ancient, ancient and uh, artificial, you know, a lot of good ancient stuff being very, you know, radically customer focused. Okay. I've got another burning question or two for you. I think this is less of a question than a, like, Woohoo! Huge observation that I just loved in reading your book. Um, toward the beginning, you had Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And most people will yep. know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs at the very bottom. And your version, it's internet, <laughs> good Wi-Fi, working in internet. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Um, but it, you know, it's it's um, it's food and and water and uh, shelter, and then you know, and then money and and you know, and then at the top uh, is most people probably know self-actualization but jen has this really cool superimposed triangle on the top that says transcendence and helping others self-actualize i just was boom that's a word you know that's a word about that's right at your tango revolutionizing relationships is our whole jam so when i saw that i i literally was chatting with one of my colleagues and i said oh my gosh maslow's hierarchy is wrong jen lim figure it out (laughs) what you know what it really should be so i'm just saying like thank you and and amen and in a way i feel like that comes back full circle to our conversation right well now i wish i could take credit though but i i actually didn't come up with that oh yeah well i found i read it from you first so i'm gonna give you credit but but where where did it come from then so um I thought I wrote this in the book, but you're like, yeah, no, I understand. You're just skimming the thing. It was late. But um, yeah, actually, when I was like, when I was researching for the book, what was fascinating to me is like, we've heard of it for so long and we've seen that uh, yeah. pyramid in that state for so long. But what I realized or what I learned was that Maslow, before he died, actually added the transcendence piece on his own, but it never got oh. socialized. So he realized it's not a self okay, so he gets credit for his own. I was smart. Yeah. So oh my goodness. It was like, yeah, we want to self-actualize others. So that was his. I was just pointing it out. Like, wait, that, why did well, this not get on there? That, yeah, no, it's cheap. amazing. We'll we'll see if we can link to it in the show notes. And it's it's actually surprising given that 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 isn't much more common. So we're gonna we're gonna see if we can do our part to popularize that because it just it's again. Obvious and radical. Obvious and radical. That's the theme today. When we um, put this uh, uh, out I there, the show is going to be obvious and radical with Jen Lim. <laughs> um, okay. Isn't that how all revelations go, though? Where you're like, <laughs> well, man, that was totally. so I mean, you know you're on to something. I feel like that's when you know it's yeah. real and lasting. And that, you know, that's what kind of gets me, you know, personally fired up. Okay. And so back to relationships. One of my favorite questions to ask yeah. amazing guests on our show is about their uninvited Buddhas. People that, and it can over. come in this person or, or condition or experience can come in many forms. Often it's the form of some kind of resistance, maybe even a resentment. It could be a spouse. It could be a child. It could be a coworker. That person's like, oh, they're making you crazy. And then you'll, yeah. and eventually you go, oh, oh my gosh, they had something really important to teach me. So do you have an uninvited Buddha in your life 
um, that you can share with us? Yes, I do. Um, and will you, you share? But... That's what we say with our kids. We'll be like, can you? Yeah, yes. Will you? No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Well, I, um, there's also... also I'll say one, I'll say a couple because there's one that's just like kind of really obvious when you have a loving mother-daughter relationship and how that mm -hmm. all, our relationship is so much better than it was a few years ago, oh, but oh, it's still like, you know, it's like every day I'm learning about this, like, you know, there's these tensions and all that stuff, but it's so beautiful how Amen. it can actually change in ways you never thought. But the other, mm -hmm. um, the more present one right now is uh, those that are and I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way, but like those that are weaponizing uh, purpose, the use of the word oh, purpose and yes. spirituality. Those yes. that are weaponizing okay, spirituality. So uh -huh. what's been so fascinating. Okay, so back up, being in the happiness space, it's so interesting. Like those people that are experts in the field are some of the most unhappiest people I know. Because like it's just like they're so into like espousing all this research and all this stuff and then and then it's like are you really you know in are you really living it um mm -hmm. so that was then and this is now in terms of now my my own interest in well purpose has been a long time in terms of like sustainable happiness but let's just take examples of when companies and i said this before like we work with theranos when they're saying we're changing the world and they have a very obvious disconnect between their ways about it like the hows of the values right. and all that stuff and that to me is just um you know that is just unfair to their people to their teams right. to their yeah you know, totally. to their customers to society that's just like the weaponizing purpose the other one is spirituality in the sense of as i've been getting you know wanting to learn more about it there are some that like really are just hell bent on their way of spirituality as the, as the okay. way. And mm -hmm. there's so, I understand the passion behind it. There's a big ego like, in you know, there, right? There's a yeah, big ego exactly. in there. Like, the thing that we're trying to transcend. Mm -hmm. The thing we're trying to transcend. And that's what brings them back to a place of like, oh, now I'm holier than thou. And without saying it or yeah. maybe even realizing it. So I think those mm -hmm. are my, those are things that I can, those are people I can learn from in really checking myself in oh, as I. Good for you. Keep I've, on running mindset this stuff. Through working in this type of self-help and relationship, being an editor, I will say this, and I hope I don't offend anyone, but in general, when I have white people call themselves gurus or shamans, and they are all about, you know, ascension and goodness and being, they, you give them a little while and you find that they can be some of the cruelest Mm. most self-serving people and of yeah. course if you call yourself a guru or a shaman and you are not yeah you're not you know, allowed to call yourself that i mean that's culture. just like rule number one rule yeah. number one before anything else you can't call yourself a shaman i mean if you're actually a shaman administering if we get ayahuasca it's, yeah. in the amazon in that case please call yourself yeah. a shaman and tell me how to find you well, yes, and there, because there are, there's these words have definitions, gurus and shamans, yeah. right? And if you're connected yeah. to the culture, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the person who names themselves, you know, a shaman of, of inner peace. And they grew up, you know, completely normal mainstream white Christian culture. To me, that's a sign that they have, they're marketing themselves Boom. on someone else's culture. And Boom. to me, that's immediately, I put up a, a boundary. 
immediately 100. have a oh, but they have something to just, teach you. Then that's your uninvited Buddha, right? That's, that's what I'm. That's how I'm getting. That's, that's, that's what point. I'm getting from Gen Two. Is it's like it's so uncomfortable. It's so oh yes awkward. But it's also like but, wow, I've really learned that those are the people I first put up a boundary with. Just like oh yep okay cool I hear you yeah out, you're not okay yep, got it yeah no I love coming that into I love here. those examples. <laughs> And this, uh, and uh, and just to be honest, when you first started the show, like Andrea, you used the word guru for me, and oh. I was like, Oh, dude, yeah. like, uh, <laughs> well, so I was ironically a little sure. bit too. Like, there is I that kind of colloquial. I think she knows she's, yeah, yeah, mm. and there is a colloquial use of that. But I mean, and, yeah, and yeah. Andrea saying it about you is so different than me. If I was like, I am the parenting guru, <laughs> you'd be like, Yo, do not <laughs> listen to that girl. Like, <laughs> away. oh that is so funny oh my god we have come full circle we're like going in circles it's like very uh uh i'm trying to think of what's so you know anyway cylindrical NASCAR. Ouroboros. are uh, we eating no. our own tail yeah we're transcending i feel like we're Trend going winning. you know yeah. circles up we're transcending <laughs> together Okay, all good things come to maybe not an end. Maybe it's a pause because Jen, I would love to get you back on our show. I hope to meet you in person one day. You're that. amazing. Likewise, this has just been one of my favorite discussions. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you, we, and I appreciate you on traditional questions that you're asking. Uh, oh, this oh, whole dialogue thing I did has been it. very non-traditional. Okay, good. We're hitting it at some boxes. I wanted to um, come back to you and ask <laughs> yeah. about um, the greenhouse method. I know you're yeah. doing, you have a course available and you've got so much wisdom and so much value, whether it's, you know, a leader in an organization. I've often thought of your tango as a team of leaders, right? That's one little. person, you know, you were talking about uh, Diana, one of our more junior team members. Holy smokes. She's in charge of like a ton of stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and it's just it's so cool. I feel like to think of yourself and to create those flatter, like you said, less hierarchical organizations mm -hmm. where there can be so much leadership, so much initiative and ownership. And and to me, that's what leadership is. So um, I yeah. just want to give a shout out to the uh, course that you have available. Where can people find that and any other color on who should be taking the Greenhouse Method course? Yeah, thank you. Um, so you can come on my my site, just jenlim.com. Uh, it's it's like it's built off. Um, like you asked me about the greenhouse model earlier, so that was like the whole mm -hmm. the the premise of it. Then it goes deeper into the how. I'm really big on the mm -hmm. how do you actually do this stuff? Like how do you actually do the life work? Well, there's more to like how do you yeah. become your best? And you're like I want to be my best self. Like well, how do you actually do that? So anyway, the the the, the method is basically doing more of the nuts and bolts of um, breaking it down into how you actually build your own greenhouse and now you actually understand your own elements that you need to celebrate what's going well and actually acknowledge the things that need to be worked on. Um, so yeah, I, I do that stuff. So that's like the new program that we've been doing since the book was launched. Um, I do accept coach. I mean, we have a team that's uh, basically here for organizational levels of change and leaders leadership um growth and development and i believe it's like we are all leaders of our own work life so that's up and down across Amen. the board around the world i love that i love it very democratizing okay so greenhouse method you can go to jen with two n's limb.com and mm -hmm. uh, we'll put that uh link in the show notes 
Jen, you're amazing. Guru or not, with or without the title, (laughs) you are awesome. Thank you for for being on our show and imparting so much wisdom and heart. It's been phenomenal to talk to you. It's been a super cool time, and thanks for not calling me a shaman. (laughs) That'll be the next show. It's shaman time with Jen Lim. Just wait. Right. Just wait. So things change. Then <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. Level. All right, Ken, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh. oh, my gosh. She's amazing. And I just amazing. think it's so funny that I accidentally called her a guru. I, I accidentally, unaccidentally <laughs> called her a guru. You, you didn't need to mention it again. I mean, that you just like, you know, like you just brought it up again. I know. But I will <laughs> say it up again. I'm oh, so golly. glad that the star of the show has finally arrived, and that's your cat. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, Cupcake is here. Oh, yeah. She is, Um, yeah, she's on fire. She gives me all Cupcake, my mojo. Late. What can I say? I know. She's, Cupcake, she's made an appearance now. This is her second appearance. She's trying to you be a regular be. guest on the show. Yeah. Yeah, you might be fired, Cupcake. And for anybody who can't see what's happening, go to YouTube because Cupcake's on my lap, and she doesn't make <laughs> a lot of noise. Okay. Really I know cute. we don't. Oh, thank you. Yeah, she's a sweetie. She was my little... um. Stray kitty that came and adopted us. Uh, um, we just had such a great discussion. Holy smokes. And we had, I mean, oh my gosh, there were so many more things to talk with oh my her gosh. about. But I know we, we've got to wrap it up here. So um, in 15 seconds or less, uh, Joanna, what was your best takeaway? I, that, that psychological safety is going to sit with me because... It applies to so many things. It applies to our romantic relationships, our friendships, and especially in parenting. I thought it's like a revelation, the idea of creating a safe space for employees to grow together, but also our families and how that would change everything if we got good at it. It really does. It's so, it is so groundbreaking. And again, you know, theme of the show, radical and obvious. Uh, I love that. Brian, what about you? What were your actionable takeaways? Um, I don't know about a maybe actual takeaway, but like I, I was fascinated by all the almost like the trickle down effect of like being a better boss, or like of humanizing your your employees and like the, mm-hmm. you know, you're not seeing them as numbers on a board in that like profit driven, like treat the people as assets come when you treat with yeah, assets, exactly. yeah. assets. That's yeah, versus for, liabilities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I love like, that well at your tango, how we give each other, you know, we have a peer award that we give each other on, on our staff at your tango. And I think that that's a way that leadership tells the employees, like, you're so valuable and you even get to decide who else is valuable. I'm not the right. only one that decides right. that. Yeah, totally. no, it's a cool, it's a cool tradition that we've had for many years. I'm going to share a little quote, um, from, uh, Tony's book, he says the happiness hypothesis says happiness doesn't come from within as much as between. And I link that back to what you're saying, Joanna, because when I think about the amazing bonds that we've developed as a team at your tango, like it really is between, right? And so that that to me is just it's it really it's a reframing and less about me, me, me versus we, we, we. But as <laughs> as Jen said, it's like we're in service of myself and we're in service of others, right? So it's like you need the me and the we. Um, But my other favorite from her was, again, radical and obvious, especially when she was talking about, I thought she was very polite. She didn't say, hey, Elon Musk, STFU. 
Um, but, you know, when I was asking about, you know, insisting on going back into the office, she urged people to um, ask the why. Right. And again, I realize in a way yeah. that's the obvious. It's like, oh, we've heard that a lot. But w- whether it's um, leadership asking people to go back to work or Joanna, ding, ding, ding. When you have a 13 year old kid who's like, well, why? And you can never say because I said so, because that makes you a douchebag. Yeah. And that's the first time we've well, said and that. And they on the don't show, trust you. God, yeah. <laughs> then yeah. they think yeah, you have and it's something so, to hide. Yeah. And it's just a pull rank bullshit answer. And so when I think yeah. about it, and uh, Jen and her work, we obviously didn't get to everything that she does. But when she talks about the why behind, you know, she urges people when they think about what motivates them, you know, just to keep asking that question again and again. And and there is, it's almost like a, like a, like a, uh, what's the word? Like a crucible, like a purification, right? Like if you're willing sure. to be courageous and ask that why and not be afraid of the answer. And I think that, you know, so back to, you know, whether it's, again, back to work or uh, having a, a kid that, you know, it's like, well, you know what? If I'm really being honest about the the answer to the why and it and my answer is, oh, you can't go because it's inconvenient to me. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it, it helps yeah. you get radically honest which again, yes. to me, is like that's how we transform and uh, free ourselves. And sometimes that's a very valid reason. And 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 my fifteen year old is home right now, and he'll tell you sometimes why why can't I go to that party? And it's like because your dad and I are tired, and we're not going to leave the house after ten to pick you up. Okay, yeah. at least we've been honest. It's not going to be. That's fair. Yeah, we're yeah. tired, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I see that. The bad news is he can come back and say I'll take an Uber. And then you have. Well, yeah. At least then that's an option. I it's mean, a dumb, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, then it's problem yeah. solving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nothing exactly. worse than like having a logical answer. And then, like you said, like getting rank pulled, like you're like, but all of these things, I did all this stuff. I have everything ready. I have a game plan. Like I should be able to do this thing. Exactly. And it's like, no, yeah. Because yeah, then you just so. have control issues. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. And that to me, I feel like as a very type A, triple A Aries, I've had to call my out myself out so many times like Andrea control issues like. F that, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. be honest with the why. And then it's like, oh, and then I mean, again, but it's it's how you liberate yourself. Like, oh, I don't want to have control issues because that then yeah. ultimately ends up me being imprisoned. So, yay. Yeah. So good. Alrighty. Okay, that's the that's our show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening and or watching. We would love to hear from you. You may email us at openrelationships at your We would be super grateful if you're digging our show to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We would be ultra grateful if you downloaded this episode. That helps us a ton. Um, We love your comments. Like us if you can. And by the way, if you don't like it and you're like, wow, that was the stupidest thing I've ever heard, let us know because we're here to improve. We we want to take your um, advice. Yeah, we'll take your advice. Maybe if it's good. (laughs) Anyway, that's our show. The comment. (laughs) Either yeah. way, leaving an angry comment helps our algorithm. So leave yeah. those angry yeah, comments. Yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as long as it's nothing <laughs> negative against my cat cupcake. All right, bye. No, cupcake. Thank you. Good day. <laughs> <laughs>